And welcome to another episode of CCT Live, the Cape Cod Times Live Facebook broadcast. We bring you every Thursday at 9 a.m. Uh, we took a brief hiatus last week, but we're back. I'm news editor Patrick Cassidy, and I'm here with Tanner Stenning, who covers the towns of Sandwich and Mashpee, as well as the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe. And of course, we coordinated our shirts today. <laughs> uh, today, we'll talk about the release of more records in the investigation into the shooting death of Yarmouth Police Sergeant Sean Gannon. We'll also talk about other stories that made the news this week, including a full slate of elections across the Cape, and then take a brief look ahead at what's coming up. You can take a look back at our past episodes and follow along on all our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. As always, there's uh, tons to talk about, so we're going to get uh, started right away. Um, first of all, a story that has been uh, coming up uh, probably too often as far as the local ferry line is concerned. Uh, the members of the Woods Hole, Martha's Vineyard, and Nantucket Steamship Authority Board uh, this week unanimously, there are five members there, voted to work on a request uh, through the rest of the week. And, and we've been covering this story. Various reporters have been covering this story for the past four or five months, right. uh, Tanner, because the problems have been going on for that long. And one number that jumped out at me in the reporting by Ethan Genter, who went to this meeting on the vineyard, was that there had been 500, 500 mechanical yeah. Uh, you can't imagine that in the first wow. uh, four months of the year, uh, uh, mechanical cancellations of ferry uh, service during that time. Uh, so that's a lot. And people are starting to get upset. Right. Um, this meeting, I know I uh, was uh, listening to uh, Ethan talk about it, the reporter who covered this story. And he said he had never seen uh, a meeting attended by so many people mm. on the vineyard. This was a regular meeting of the Steamship Authority's board. And they decided during that meeting again to seek this outside review. They'd been talking talking about it uh, for the last uh, couple of weeks, um, but they finally, I think, decided that it was just something that they had to do. So they're putting out a request for proposals to, to look at who might do the review. There was an initial uh, suggestion by one of the members a couple of weeks ago, I believe, uh, to have a certain uh, firm do it, but they decided to kind of uh, put it out there to get probably the best deal. It could take a couple of different forms. They're looking at whether it's kind of a top to bottom review, looking at the entire operation, or whether it's something that's more specific. They had already put together kind of a uh, an idea of looking at the uh, maintenance uh, uh, procedures for the ferry lines. And again, this goes back to various ferries breaking down. One broke down off Martha's Vineyard and people were stranded out there for, I think, five hours, which wow. uh, you can only imagine what that was like. But it was interesting, the people who stood up at this meeting this week and spoke about it because there, there was a range. There was, you know, business uh, folks who said it was hurting their bottom line. Uh, this construction company owner said that uh, he was having to pay his workers extra as they waited around for ferries. Um, and then even the, the airport out there said, well, we need our fuel and our fuel comes over on ferries. An interesting <laughs> intersection of different yeah, transportation yeah. modes. Um, so they're going to look for this outside review. Uh, and they're going to supposed to come back with a recommendation on uh, the responses they get for this request for proposals um, and decide at their next meeting in June, I believe. Um, certainly a lot of people are watching this. It has a lot of effects on, on a lot of folks. Um, and, and again, this week, as I mentioned earlier, was a big week for elections. And you had a story uh, in uh, the paper today, uh, yeah. right, uh, about yeah. uh, some questions that had come up uh, about uh, the use of emails uh, and and work emails by town officials. Uh, what can you tell us about that story? And, and this is out of Mashpee. Right, right. So um, again, this was election madness week. Um, so on, uh, there were a couple of email communications that uh, one of which we had obtained yesterday after the Mashpee election on Tuesday. 
Um, but the first one that uh, uh, sort of made a splash on social media um, came from the Mashpee uh, school superintendent, Patricia DeBoer, who had taken um, a message that was posted on Facebook from a sitting school committee member. Um, and that message had, you know, kind of discussed uh, the two incumbents who were up for re-election. Um, and uh, the two incumbents who ultimately were re-elected um, were pretty safe up until last week when there were two write-in candidates that at the last minute decided to join uh, with a write-in campaign. But so uh, the issue uh, that we found was that Ms. DeBoer had uh, taken this message that um, basically uh, she, she says was a message that urged people to get out and just vote in the election. Um, but when you, when you look at it, um, there are, there's a discussion, quite a lengthy discussion of the qualifications of the two incumbents. Um, and, you know, that, that sort of perked our attention and, and uh, comes to, we come to find out that that could be a violation of, um, you know, state uh, uh, finance, uh, campaign finance law. Finance laws, which, um, are, which are pretty strict about the use of, again, uh, official emails. You're right. a municipal employee, you're a state employee. The idea is you're not supposed to be campaigning for somebody right. using the resources of the state that are paid for with taxpayer dollars. Right. You, you can't use public resources uh, for political purposes in that manner. And that, um, according to a spokesperson for the Massachusetts State um, Office of Political Finance says that um, that derives from a, a Supreme Court case back in the 70s that basically said, you know, uh, public resources can't be used for political purposes. Um, so there was some discussion about that uh, on social media, which sort of led to uh, uh, the Times obtaining another uh, email um, from one of the incumbents who was reelected on Tuesday. Uh, that was George Schmidt. Uh, and we had re uh, obtained an email from from Schmidt that he had sent to uh, Gail Wilson, who was the uh, human services director in Mashpee. Essentially, this email um, was um, she was uh, Schmidt was asking Wilson to send out um, a reminder to a town entity, a town group, a task force uh, that he was up for re-election, reminding you know these folks that he was on the ballot. The elections Tuesday, but this was a private email that was sent from a again a sitting school committee member to another town official using town email. Well, and again, I was yep. going to say private email. It was actually sent through his uh, school committee his account, school committee account, which is the correct. key. If he had yep. sent it privately um, to to her, there would probably be no question as to it was his private email. He's campaigning. He can do that. She could probably you know not do something with it through her work email account. Um, but it's kind of on her at that point. In this case, he sent it through his uh, school committee account, which right. is where the rubber meets the road in this case. And again, one of the interesting quotes in that email from him uh, or in that note from him was, I understand through the grapevine, there's a massive effort underway to try and unseat me in the election tomorrow. So it really does get at him asking not just to get out the vote, but, yeah. you know, presumably to get out the vote for him and asking her to do that through this task force that you mentioned. Right. And, and in the state law, um, it mentions certain criteria. The, you know, um, if a communication uh, becomes expressly, um, advocates expressly for um, a town official, it can be, it's certainly problematic. So language such as get out to vote for X, reject Y, 
um, that's the sort of language that can become problematic. But also in the law, um, there is a, a you know a provision for you know vague advocacy. If a message looks as though it appears to be uh, endorsing a candidate, that can also be problematic and be a violation of state law. And it's important to note that that, that uh, Wilson uh, did not forward it through the task force. Right. She had she had contacted the town uh, administrator and town manager and said, what should I do? And, and Rodney Collins, who is the town manager, said, don't do anything. Don't do right, anything right. with it. He probably has a pretty firm grasp of where the pitfalls lie here. Um, so obviously it raises uh, some questions about the initial sending. And I, I think you got uh, uh, Patricia DeBoer on the phone. And what was her response? Well, uh, she, she was uh, she responds by email. So we had an email exchange and, and she um, essentially said that the message was not intended as an endorsement and that she apologized if it may have been interpreted that way. Uh, again, you know, it, it, it's uh, it may not have necessarily been a malicious act yeah. to forward an email, but the fact that uh, you know the it, it was careless uh, does raise questions still. Yeah, and I think it was one of those where if you look at the message, I I, I guess you could see her looking at the top of the message and see, seeing it as a get out the vote message, right. and maybe not reading. And again, we don't know what she read in terms of the entire message, but maybe not reading further down where right. it starts to get at these candidates and these qualifications, qualifications yeah. and everything along those lines. Um, so interesting. Again, something that town officials always have to be cognizant of. There are these pitfalls when you're emailing and the campaigns come along and you're used to using different emails for work and then all of a sudden you're using those same emails for what's essentially a private campaign for a, for a, an office. Right. Um, and a lot of these offices are, you know, they're not high paying jobs. So it's not necessarily as if they're going to reap some great benefit, except for the fact that they uh, then get that status as a school committee member and, and are able to be in that position. Um, so interesting, uh, Mashby election did happen in the midst of a whole lot of other elections. And as you said, within that election, uh, Gorman and Schmidt uh, were reelected. Uh, Gorman uh, was the other school committee candidate here who yep. was uh, an incumbent, right? So yep. um, they beat out the two uh, late write-in candidates in the end. Um, and uh, I guess what was what was turnout like in that uh, election? And there were eight others we'll get into real quick here. But what was turnout like? Yeah, it was around 13 percent of overall voters, um, which I was there. Um, the town manager was there. He didn't really have a comment either way about that. But it seems to be on the low side, obviously, given that there's uh, many more people who are who are uh, enrolled to vote. Um, and as far as the election itself, where uh, I should say the ballot questions, both were passed. Uh, the one ballot question dealt with uh, Mashpee's obligation to Cape Cod Technical Regional High School. Uh, that uh, debt exclusion was passed. The other uh, ballot question was a non-binding vote on whether or not folks wanted to see uh, recreational marijuana establishments in town. They rejected that. They said they, uh, they don't want to see pot shops in town. So they approved, um, they approved the measure, they approved which the had measure yeah. said they were, would like to see them prohibited. Right, down one right. of those backwards yep. kind of, kind of it's questions. very counterintuitive. But. Um, but, but again, that Cape Tech vote, Cape Tech is uh, the technical high school in Harwich, um, where they're looking to build a new school, I think, at a, a price tag of $128 million. Yep. There are 12 towns involved. They all had to approve it uh, through a kind of a special town meeting uh, that occurred uh, recently. And then this is them agreeing to pay for it. Uh, important to note that the cost is not on uh, any of these ballots, so right. that's still to come. But they know generally, based on the overall cost, uh, what it's going to cost each town. 
Um, and it was a contentious leading up to the special town meeting. But once that happened, the towns were on the hook to pay for it. It's just a matter of how they do it. Right. Uh, towns had to decide whether to, you know, go with a debt exclusion, which is a temporary tax increase over a period of time for the borrowing, um, or find that money somewhere else. And, and most towns uh, that did take it up uh, during these elections went with some sort of debt exclusion or some sort of uh, way of paying for it. So it, it gained approval in all the towns that decided on it. And there were a number of towns taking up that issue and a lot of other issues. As I said, there were eight uh, elections overall on Tuesday night. A uh, little hectic wow. here as we uh, <laughs> tried to cover all that on deadline, yep. but we made it all into the paper. It all made it into the paper. As you mentioned, uh, uh, Mashby had a 13% turnout. I think the high uh, turnout was like 29.7% in Falmouth. Wow. They, in Falmouth, they had a, a big question about uh, the money for a turf, a new turf field. That's been something that Falmouth has been talking about for months now. They ended up approving that money. It was about $3 million. It was the turf field and a number of other assumptions. Uh, uh, items that are included in that. Just going really quickly here, and again, you can check all this out on capecottimes.com slash politics, which is, has all the election results there, um, but kind of on a quick town-by-town -town basis. Town of Dennis, there was a close race for selectman Christopher Flanagan of Dennisport, uh, beat out three other candidates there, including Dustin Pinot, who's the director of uh, Beach and Recreation there, beat him out by only 16 votes. Wow. Um, and uh, he, he wasn't ready to comment that night on, on the issue, but uh, the, the results, he was worried that the results weren't official. Terry Bunce, who runs the show out there in terms of elections in, in Dennis, uh, made those results official the next day. So Christopher Flanagan is the uh, next selectman. He's replacing uh, Cleon Turner, who is been in town and state government for quite a while, former uh, a police officer and spent a lot of time uh, up at the state house as a state representative. So Christopher Flanagan uh, wins in Dennis. They also approved uh, their school funding there as well. In East Ham, they banked through four uh, debt exclusion uh, questions uh, to improve uh, the quality uh, of Salt Pond, which is a very well-known pond out there, to work on uh, improvements at Rock Harbor on the East Ham side of Rock Harbor, split between Orleans and, and East Ham, and uh, some police station renovations and some dredging in Nauset. Um, and again, going very quickly here in Bourne, they elected uh, two men, James Potter and, J and Jared McDonald, uh, to the selectman seat. This was a five-way race um, and was made a little interesting because Michael Blanton, who was a, a former selectman there, had resigned from the board earlier after he was arrested on domestic violence charges. The case is still going through the courts, so these are allegations, but his seat has been vacant since March. One of these men fills that seat and the other fills a seat uh, formerly occupied by Don uh, Picard, who decided not to run. Um, Jared McDonald, uh, people will know, is a, a former born police officer who was shot in the line of duty in 2015 uh, re while responding to um, a scene in Bourne uh, where a Coast Guardsman was killed and uh, in uh, he was shot and the Coast Guardsman's uh, wife, uh, she was shot as well. Um, and he, he, you know, he was certainly uh, appropriately so treated as a hero because he uh, went into the line of fire and was shot. There were some questions that came up right before the election about some internal affairs investigations and discipline that he received as a police officer over the years. But people really uh, came out to support him and, and uh, really he had a lot of support in town. And again, uh, stemming whether it was from uh, his, his uh, service as a police officer, he's a former Marine as well, um, or a Marine veteran as well, um, or uh, the fact that people just thought he was the right man for the job. So he, he took that race and, and uh, those are the two seats filled in Bourne. 
Uh, Orleans uh, uh, agreed to spend a, a bunch of money on wastewater planning, a $4 million uh, wow. uh, to look at the plans. Uh, that's kind of a drop in the bucket, if you will, because they have a $58 million plan coming up mm. uh, in you know, between 2020 and 2024. So they approved that. Uh, and again, that's uh, spending that goes above the proposition two and a half. So they had to approve it at the ballot. Um, 17% turnout there. There was a, a few other things in town. One of the things that was interesting in Orleans is they agreed to permanently fund uh, $450,000 a year to cover the town's liability for future uh, retiree health insurance and other post-employment benefits. This is something, mm. it's called OPEB in the uh, parlance in the acronym world, but uh, something that all the towns are going to be having to deal with. And so Orleans took a step in that direction, funded a few other things and and defeated, I think for the second time, it was defeated at town meeting a uh, new beach office and restrooms at Skakit Beach, um, but approved, as we said, the Cape Tech School and uh, some work out at Nauset. We already talked about Falmouth. Uh, all the incumbents essentially uh, took the uh, races in Falmouth for selectmen and school committee planning board. It was a, a big a big night for incumbents there and actually incumbents in a lot of other towns as well, including right. Yarmouth, uh, where the incumbent selectmen, uh, Eric Tolley and Norman Holcomb, uh, were able to uh, beat out a couple of uh, uh, challengers there. And in Yarmouth, it's important uh, because they also approved an override for their school budget, which in Yarmouth, uh, which is coupled with Dennis in the Dennis-Yarmouth Regional School District, is a every year issue. I mean, the, yeah. every year Yarmouth uh, is looking at a number that they really have a hard time uh, dealing with. Dennis, on the other hand, uh, has kind of uh, sees students dropping off in terms of attending the school. Yarmouth seeing more students attend the school. Mm. It's uh, not exactly on a student by student basis, but it's pretty close. And, and uh, Yarmouth uh, feels like they are really uh, shouldering a, a lot of burden here. Um, but uh, they've done it in a couple of years. They've, they've pretty much said, okay, we're going to pay for it. We have to pay for it. They're constantly trying to figure out ways to make that a little easier on the taxpayers. Um, so, so that's elections in a nutshell. And again, you're welcome to go to capecottimes.com slash politics to kind of dive a little deeper into all those results, um, uh, that we have up online. Um, Big story of the week, big story of the month, big story of the year continues to be um, the shooting death of Yarmouth Police Sergeant Sean Gannon. And uh, yesterday uh, we were in court uh, and a judge released some more details uh, about what happened on that day. It was April 12th, uh, more than a month ago at this point. Uh, and Kristen Young uh, wrote this story. What what can you tell us about this? Man? Yeah, so... Um there was uh, there were some new details uh, in this, uh, including one that uh, seemed to be entirely absent from prior reporting, which is that an ex-girlfriend of Sergeant uh, of sorry of of Latanowich, um, who's the the person who's uh, uh, alleged to and charged with yes. killing uh, Sergeant, Sergeant Gannon. Gannon. Yes, yeah. It's, um, so, according to this report that had been released yesterday. Um, uh, Latanowicz uh, was texting um, an ex-girlfriend um, after he had just allegedly shot um, Sergeant Gannon and Nero uh, Gannon's police dog. Um, this, uh, there's this, if you you can read it all, obviously in the story, but there's a there was an exchange, um, a frantic exchange between uh, Latanowicz and this and this ex-girlfriend, um, who was actually brought to the scene there um, after. Um, you know, after they had, yeah, after the, after the shooting. Um, and, um, so we don't, we had some questions I know of, of, 
I think a lot of people transpired. had questions about this. I mean, we were getting phone calls. We were seeing messages on Facebook where people were saying, what what happened on that day and, and how did this all uh, go down? Obviously, there's an ongoing investigation. Um, there's a, a trial that will be coming forward, uh, Lieutenant, which is charged with murder. And and a lot of people, you know, uh, certainly look at his record, which is extensive and, and wonder why he was out. And all those questions are questions we're pursuing. I know other people have uh, been asking those questions about how he was uh, out at this time. Um, and uh, we know that he was it was a probation uh, violation right. that they were going to arrest him on um, from a 2009 case that involved firearms as well. Um, and uh, so this uh, report that's in the police report, which in many cases, in uh, my experience, when you when you have a murder charge that's come forward, uh, those reports are uh, pretty quickly made available. Um, in this case, it was impounded. Right. Uh, and uh, the uh, district attorney's office had, had sought to impound the record and said that there were various reasons for that. Um, and again, people still had a lot of questions about what happened that day. Yeah. And yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, it's again, it's a, it's a very sad thing, but in in uh, pursuing sort of the truth and, and, and what happened in, in the situation, I think, you know, um, it's important that these details are out there and they're aired out um, for those reasons. So. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the girlfriend, it's something the ex-girlfriend, something uh, nobody had been uh, talking about uh, really until now. And the idea that he was texting uh, back and forth with her from the attic where the shooting right. occurred. The district attorney, it's important to point out, had uh, issued a press release last week uh, with uh, more details. In some ways, more details than, than were even in the report. They had talked about how there had been an initial search of the attic by uh, Sergeant Cannon, mm -hmm. uh, who, who was um, uh, posthumously uh, uh, promoted to, to Sergeant. He was an officer at the time. Uh, and during that initial search of the attic, they, they didn't find anything. And then uh, they heard noise and they went back up and they realized there was a second part to the attic and they had removed insulation covering that. Right. This is according to the DA's statement last week. Um, and when that insulation was removed, he, would, he was shot, um, according to police. And so that, that those details had started to come out. Um, this uh, report gives a little bit more of a timeline. The police had arrived yeah. at, at 2.23 p.m. on that day. Uh, the Massachusetts State Police Violent uh, Fugitive Apprehension Squad was involved, which we really hadn't known about. Um, this was a house in Marston's Mills, just to go backwards a little bit. Um, and then uh, this second search uh, had occurred. Sergeant Cannon was shot. Uh, he was pronounced dead at 4.05 p.m. Um, uh, so, again, gives you a little bit more of a sense of the, of the time. Um, those text messages, they had times for those. Mm -hmm. So at about yeah. 3.40, um, uh, the defendant uh, at this point was was sending text messages to his girlfriend saying things like, uh, I'm taking as many as I can, and, and basically saying he had shot uh, and killed a police officer. Yeah. Um, so those will obviously be details that will be in court, important in, in trial. Um, and uh, then he called 911 and asked uh, police to get his uh, ex-girlfriend girlfriend there. His ex -girlfriend. Um, and and she spoke to him, and that's when he uh, came, came out, out of the house. Yeah. So uh, a lot of uh, uh, wow. details involved there about this. And again, obviously, it's it's uh, it is a sad topic. It's a sensitive topic, but uh, there's uh, a question uh, that's ongoing about what happened, how it happened. 
uh, how it how it could have been allowed to happen. That, that people are asking how uh, this person was out at the time, and and again, people are asking a lot of questions about that day itself. Right. So we get at a lot of that in this uh, story, and and we had asked for that. that again, also important to point out that the DA's office, uh, not yesterday, but the day before, had filed their own motion to have the impoundment lifted. Um, um, but again, we had filed, I think last week to ask that, that those documents be made public. And, and there's a presumption of, of, uh, these documents being public. And there's a very good reason for that. And that's because without, uh, documents such as these being public, there's no way to vet and to understand and to, you know, potentially, uh, do things differently or find out what, what went wrong, um, uh, you know, on whatever level, uh, with cases like this. So right. we'll be continuing to look at that, uh, no matter what. Um, looking forward, uh, we have a, a story coming up, uh, I believe, in tomorrow's paper um, that's about uh, some tree cutting that occurred out in Barnstable. And there are some folks out there who aren't very happy with it. Um, uh, our reporter, Jeff Spillane, is going to be looking at that and, and finding out, you know, whether things were done properly in, in uh, cutting down these trees. Whenever trees get cut, uh, certainly uh, in on the Cape, it, it, it causes yeah. a lot of uh, concern among right. people. And these were some rather large trees. Have you ever been out to Route 6A? In I Barcelona? have, yeah, yeah. There's a Gorgeous lot of trees. those big yeah. uh, trees that are along the, the road. And, and uh, a lot of them, I think, you know, maybe more than 100 uh, were cut down and, and uh, they were done. It was done for a very specific purpose. You can check Cape Cod Times and CapeCodTimes.com tomorrow for more information on that. Thanks a lot for being here. Thanks, Tanner, for agreeing to sure. wear the same blue shirt as <laughs> I. Right, yeah. I really appreciate that. Uh, tell your friends, share the link, and feel free to reach out to us with any story ideas or tips. All our emails are at CapeCodTimes.com. We're where our news starts on Cape Cod. Um, until next week, have a good morning and good luck.